So like I said before, um, at the risk of repeating myself from last week, I grew up not in a home that celebrated Advent. My parents were first generation Christians who were saved on the beach as they were doing drugs. And they got incorporated into a very non-traditional church that appealed to surfers and hippies. And so I grew up in a church just like that. So I didn't actually experience Advent until I came to Kuwait. It was the first time I actually saw the Advent candles. Um, but I think it's a very beautiful thing and a wonderful thing that we do. And as an international church, you know, we're called Crossroad International Church. An international church is a church that reaches people from different um, ethnic backgrounds, also from different theological backgrounds and cultural backgrounds and Christian backgrounds. So I think the Advent is a is an excellent thing because it has so much history. It started as early as the fourth century AD. And it's and like I said, it's looking back, we're looking back, we're celebrating um, peace and joy and love and Jesus, right? And it's also looking forward to when peace and love and joy in Jesus will be with us forever in eternity. And this week we are talking about uh, love, the love candle. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, 16 through 19. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil." Now, this is obviously the most famous love passage, I think, in the New Testament. And when we, in English, when we think of love, love has so many uses. We use love for almost anything, right? I think a primary way is how we feel about something, right? When I say that I love my wife, it means that I value her, I appreciate her, I have affection for her. When I say that I love pizza, it means that it's something that I enjoy and it brings me pleasure when I do it. I can also say that I love my job because it brings me satisfaction when I do it, when I do a good job at it. So love is something that brings us joy and satisfaction and it brings us happiness and pleasure. Love is something we feel. Love is an emotion. It's, it's, it's something in the heart that pours outward. However, love is not just a feeling. Love is also action, right? Um, when I say I just had my 16th wedding anniversary and I got her flowers and a note and she wanted to show my affection and my appreciation through an action. I wanted to do something, right? When I love my work, I work hard at it. I still do it. I, it's something that I do. It's not just a feeling. It's not just a, a warm, lovely feeling that I go back to bed. No, I get up and I do my work. I work hard at it. You know, when I love my kids, 
My kids bring me so much joy and pleasure, but I do all kinds of things I would rather not do because I love them. I don't like changing poopy diapers. I just did it today. Terrible one. And But because I love him, I do these actions that demonstrate my love. And we will see this. So love is both affection, a feeling, and it's an action. And my first point today is that God does have affection and emotions towards us. Right, when it says that God so loves the world. Now, what this does not mean is it does not mean he loves the world system, right? The world system that's evil and full of brokenness and death and decay and bad things happening, that is not what God means. God hates sin. God hates evil. And the world is full of that. <clears throat> but that's not what God means when he says he loves the world. It says that God loves, when he says that he loves the world, he loves people. God is a creator, right? He was originally good. He was originally perfect. And he made everything that he created good and perfect and wonderful and amazing. Because he's a creative God. He loves to create. And he loves people especially because he, are, he Adam and Eve were his crowning creation, were his top level creatures. And it says in Genesis that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So this means that we are in the image of God. God made us like him in some significant and real way that he did not make the rest of the creation. What does this mean? I think it means a lot of different things. You know, God gives us choice. God gives us a moral will. You know, we're not, we're not bound by instincts like the rest of creation. We have a ability to choose things because God is sovereign. He chooses whatever he wants. So he put that in us to some extent. We have a sense of sovereignty, a sense of I can make choices that affect outcomes right? We are creative. I love going to museums and seeing paintings and seeing sculpture, and humans have done amazing things. Well, we're able to do those amazing things because God put his image in us, right? Because God created, he created the whole universe in seven days. So in a tiny sense, right, God creates out of nothing, right? But we are also have a sense of creativity. People paint and write and sing and make music and compose. So we have a piece of that creative spirit in us that comes from God. We also have children, right? We reproduce and that's a wonderful thing because God is a, he made us, he made, he loves to create life. So in the way that we can create life, not to the same extent that God, but God allows us this honor to to reproduce so that showing what it's like to be God. God created everything out of nothing. <clears throat> now, and God loves that in his people, right? He made us in his image. God, obviously he is the highest, most important being in the universe. So to value himself and to value his creatures that are like him is a totally normal choice. Now, I'm not saying also that God is needy, 
Um, God is not, God was not lonely when he made it, made humanity and made the world. He was not like that. He existed in eternity with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in community, in communion. So he's not a needy God that he needed us, that he was so desperate and so lonely, he needed to pay like a savior complex. No, he was God, he was perfect. It's like my it's like my children, you know. My I don't need my kids in the sense that they help me or sustain me. In fact, it's the other way around. I sustain them, I help them, I give of my energy to them. And I remember I didn't even feel super lonely before I had kids. I just didn't know what I was missing in my life. I was, you know, living my normal single married life without kids. But when I had kids, all that love and that desire kind of just came out of me, right? I cherish them and I do anything for them now. It just kind of created this love in my heart. And I also like them because they are like me a little bit in some of the good ways and some of the bad ways, right? We like our kids because they look like us, they act like us sometimes. And that's similar with how God created us. We are like his little image, his little children. So even though God didn't need us, he made us. And uh, uh, 18th century theologian Jonathan Edwards said that, it is no emptiness or deficiency of a fountain that it is inclined to overflow. So it's not God overflows in love, and that's why he created everything. That's not God's fault. He just, he's just, God's so full of love. <clears throat> so we know that God loves us and has affection for us. My second point, though, is that we have rejected God's love. You know, like I said, we were, we were designed to be representatives of God on the earth. God's, God's people, God's, as we walk around, think of us as like mirrors. We're supposed to mirror to all the created world what God is like, right? Shining back who God is, the greatness of God in everything that we did as people. That's how God, that's why God made us. And it says in Hosea, this is what God wanted in the beginning. So the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now that's a reference looking forward, but it was also just what was designed to be in the beginning. God wanted the whole earth to be filled with the glory of God. That was why God created the earth. <coughs> Excuse me. And this, <coughs> and this would have been a wonderful place where everyone would be happy People would have purpose. People would have walked with God like they did in the garden. People would live forever. <clears throat> However, we rejected God's love. We rejected that. You know, there's a, there's a popular restaurant here in Kuwait and around the world called Burger King. And their slogan is, have it your way. Have it your way. And that's kind of what we wanted from God. We didn't want to do it God's way. We wanted to have it our way. We wanted to be like God. We wanted to be independent of God. And it says in Genesis 3, so to do this, Eve took the fruit that God, the one rule that he made, God said, don't eat this fruit of this tree. No, not many rules. But they broke the rule. And when Eve saw it, she, it said, the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, 
and he ate, so the eyes of humanity were opened. So we got what we wanted. When, we're, when we ate of that fruit, our eyes were opened. We became understanding of good and evil. However, that came with a huge cost. Here's what it cost us. It cost us our relationship with God. We know that God loves us, but God also hates disobedience. He hates sin. And when we sinned against God, we rejected him. We rejected his love. Like I said, he had one rule. And, you know, as, as parents, it's good to be a green light dad or a green light mom. That I want to I want to do things for my kids. I don't want to say no to my kids often. I want to love them and enjoy them and let them enjoy things. And the rules I have are for a purpose. You know, I tell Silas not to play with the light switches because I don't want him to get electrocuted. So when he does that, I discipline him for his own good. And there's consequences. He never likes those consequences, but it's for his own good and his own safety. And that's how it is with God. God had one rule, and that rule was for our good, right? It was for our safety, for our joy, for our maximum happiness. Thank you. So what was, what was the consequence? Well, God said, if you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. So we died. Now, it wasn't instant. He could have just zapped us right there, end of story. No, but he allowed us to live, and we died slowly, physically. But then after that, there's also a spiritual death that we go through, and that is separation from God forever. Because God is a holy and perfect God, he cannot tolerate sin. So because of that, there's a physical death that will happen at some point in all of our lives. And there's also a spiritual death that will happen at one point in all of our lives after we die, or we are separated from God forever. Not only that, that when we broke God's rule, the relationship with one another became cursed, right? When God sets out his curses for the woman, he says, the relationship with the man and woman will be strained, meaning he says to her, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So husbands and lives no longer live in contentment, but rather contention, which eventually spreads to all kinds of fights, all kinds of arguments, all kinds of disagreements, families rupturing and splitting. There would also be pain in childbirth, incredible pain, and that also includes other kites kinds of pain, meaning from infertility to birth defects to stillbirths and all the heart-wrenching pain and fear and worry that goes along with having the children. God also cursed the ground, right? The ground, we were meant to work the ground, but he cursed it, meaning it's going to bring you pain and thistles and suffering and sweat until you go back into the ground yourself. So this is what it costs to be independent from God. These are severe consequences, right? All the evil that we see in the world, all the selfishness, all the pain, all the brokenness, you don't have to live very long to see the, start to see those things and be disgusted by them and be like your heart rips because you see all this evil in this world today. No amount of education, no amount of learning is going to change that. It's just there. 
So we are condemned. Right? It says, Jesus says this, that whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is already condemned. Right? So our default position before God is rejection. Right? We're not, you know, in, in, in this culture and many cultures, you know, the, on, your, on your card when you are born, it says your religion. Right? Christian, Muslim, whatever it is. That's not how God sees it. God sees everyone as rejected from God, right? Not a believer, against God, God's enemy. There is no part that says you're a Christian when you were born because you were born in sin, right? We, we, we reject God by our nature because what happened to Adam and Eve was passed to us and by our own choices, <coughs> Even my own standards. I have my own standards for myself that I cannot keep, right? If I can keep my own standards as just a fallen person just wants to do better and I can't, what does it mean that we're trying to compare ourselves to a holy and perfect God? It's like a man who has been sentenced to the death penalty for crimes against his nation. He has already been sentenced. Now he's just waiting for the judgment. Right? When is the execution day going to come? That's how we all are before God. And we can't change. We can't change ourselves. We love the darkness. So, what Jesus says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. <clears throat> so, we are judged because we love the darkness. Right? We love to do the things we want to do. We love to be free. We love to have it our own way. And in ourselves, we cannot change that. So God does have true love and affection for us. But we rejected God's love by choosing our own identity. And my third point is that Jesus' love takes dramatic action. Like I said at the beginning, love is both affection and action. And Christmas is a celebration of the action that Jesus took, right? We lit the Christ candle. We lit the love candle, meaning that Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago to rescue his people. So he didn't just have feelings for us and love us in some sort of ethereal and uh, non-functional way, but he loves us with action. It's like, and it's like a, a positive feedback loop. You know, with my kids... Uh, I loved them when they were born, but I really learned to love them better as I did really hard things for them, as I did things I didn't want to do, as I stayed up late and held them as they cried and changed their diapers and, and suffered and did these things that I did not want to do. I wanted to live my own life, you know? I don't want to wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. But as I did those things... That love became this positive feedback loop where my affection grew stronger through that, right? Um, it's not like the way I love pizza because pizza, I don't, it doesn't do anything for me. I don't do anything for it. I don't sacrifice for it. But with my kids, I make sacrifices for them. And that becomes a positive feedback loop. As I do things for them, I, my, my love for them grows, my affection grows, and it goes around and around. That's how Jesus is. God loves people. God loves us. And we are his image bearers. That's why he says, for God so loved the world. 
He loves us because he loves himself, not in a selfish way, because God is the most important being in the world. God loves himself because he is the most valuable being in the universe. It would be wrong for God to love anything besides himself, right? If God loves something else, then that would be God. So he loves us because we are like him. And he gave his only son, as it says. Now, this is not, of course, not affection. This is, this is a real giving, a physical entering into the world, right? And the son means that he has the authority of God and the power of God and the essence of God. That's why he's part of the Trinity, right? He is the son of God. He is also God. So Christmas celebrates this action that Jesus took to come into the world, right? We rejected God of our own choices and deserve his punishment. But God saves those who believe, as it says in the text here. We're not, we're not able to obey. We're unable, we're disabled from doing it because we want to do things our own way. And if we do, even if some of us are really good at changing, even if you're really good at that, it's probably your own pride that does that, which is the worst sin of all the Bible says. So even if you are able to change yourself, it's because of your own pride, my own pride. So we have a debt that we're unable to pay back, right? This is what Jesus says, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but should have eternal life. So Jesus saves us from this judgment, from our disobedience. If we reject Jesus, then we become doubly condemned because we're condemned as our starting position, as I said, right? You're already condemned. And if we further reject Jesus, God's son who is sent into the world to save us, then we reject him twice over. So don't do this. Accept Jesus. Jesus came as a baby, but that's not, that's not where it ends, right? The story does not end with Jesus as a baby. I love babies. I love baby Jesus. But that's not the whole story. Christmas is only part of the story. We know that this baby grew up. We know that he lived a perfect life. Imagine this. Imagine this parents with your kids. Pretty easy. My kids are not perfect, are far from perfect. They sin just like their dad all the time, right? Imagine if your son or your daughter was perfect in every way, and that's how Jesus was, <coughs> excuse me, in word and thought and in deed. So he was perfect. He lived a perfect life. He, was, he could have died and gone to heaven and been with, with God forever because he, he obeyed God in every way. However, Jesus went another step further, showing his love. He sacrificed himself. He sacrificed himself to save us. Now, in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice animals to show that sin was serious. God wanted to say, sin is serious. When you sin against me, when you sin against each other, this is serious. So we're going to kill an animal when you do this. We're going to slit its throat and let its blood run out. That was not, you know, we think that, oh, they're just a really gruesome, violent people. No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying, no, sin is bad, and this is what it should look like. They were as horrified as probably we would be if we saw this. They were as horrified as we would be with the, with the consequences of sin. However, 
Animals cannot atone for sin because animals don't have a will or a volition. Right? Jesus in there, and he was morally perfect. Like I said, he never sinned. And he was willing. You know, and those animals weren't willing to die. They wanted to live. Jesus laid his life down. He said, I will lay my life down so that I can be a sacrifice for my people. So he died for our sins. Because of our cosmic treason, our rebellion against God, Jesus absorbs it, right? He took it. So God looked at Jesus and said, I'm going to send you to a Roman cross. You're going to die an excruciating death for hours and hours. You're going to, you're going to be tortured basically to death. And not only is that there's physical torment, but there's also a spiritual torment because God sent people to hell when they die. So all that punishment, all that wrath, and all that pain, and all that anger was like squeezed into a little ball and just poured out on Jesus for every single person who would ever believe in him. So just imagine that that laser beam focus of wrath for those several hours where Jesus hung on the cross which is far worse than the physical torment he went through. Because Jesus and God were together for eternity, and now that has been ripped apart. There's separation from God and Jesus. So after all this wrath was poured out on Jesus, for all the sins we would ever commit, Jesus died. So basically, Jesus loved us to death. He loved us, and it cost him his life. Right, this is what John says later, you know, greater love has no man than this, that a man lays down his life for his friends. So Jesus loved us enough, not even his friends, but actually his enemies, to die for us. So all we have to do is believe. We have to believe that Jesus died, he died on the cross for our sins, and then we get eternal life. Eternal life. So God looks at us, if you believe, God looks at you, and what he sees is the perfect life of Jesus. It's not like a one-time, you know, your sins are forgiven, now you got to do your best on your own. See you at the other side of this life. No. Jesus looks at you your whole life, no matter what you have done or will do in the future, and sees the perfect life of Jesus. That's how he looks at us. That's how he sees us. That's when we die. You know, as, as, as when I was in high school, I had these really weird thoughts about Christianity because I wasn't fully developed. And we had these questions like, what if the last thing you did before you died was commit suicide? Would you go to heaven or hell? If you were a Christian, if you committed suicide, that is a sin, but you would go to heaven because Jesus looks at you with the perfect life of Jesus. Right? No matter what you do or will do, so, my application, as we start to wrap this up, if you're not a Christian, be a Christian. Understand that you are, a, that if you, without God, you are a rebel and you are against God and you are God's enemy. Accept his sacrificial gifts. Submit to his rule in your life. If you have any questions about being a Christian or you want to know more, please see me after the service. I would love to talk to you about this. And many of us in the room will have talked to you about this. Being a Christian is the best decision you could ever make. It seals your fate for eternity. Your life is infused with meaning and purpose. And you can enjoy and honor God and be with him and with his people forever. 
It's an amazing deal. It's a free gift. It's a perfect gift. <coughs> if you are a Christian, as many of you, I believe, are, we need to spend time reflecting on this. This is the season. Christmas is tomorrow, right? And I know Christmas is a super busy time. We're getting gifts. We have parties to go to. We have events to do. It's just moving. It goes so fast. Every year, I think it goes faster this season. But try to find time tonight, tomorrow, in the morning, in the evenings, to reflect on what Jesus did for you. This is this is a perfect time. That's what Advent represents. You know, with lighting the candles, it's a it's not a super fast, flashy thing. There's reading, there's reflecting, there's lighting. It doesn't move very fast, and there, there's a reason for that. Okay, it's first to designed for us to reflect on who Jesus is and what He did for us. And you need to take that time. Otherwise, this will be another season gone. We become like the world, some materialistic Christmas. Remember that God has feelings of love for you. He cares about you. He loves you deeply and truly. He wants what's best for you. He wants you to live a life that is obedient to him. He wants you to live a life that is full of happiness, that's full of purpose and meaning. And only God's love can satisfy. If you've lived long enough, right, other things in the world don't satisfy. The love of a spouse, even your kids, even respect from colleagues, that does not satisfy, or at least not for very long. So think about these things. Ponder. Thank him. Spend some time thanking, thanking God that you saved me, that I am one of your people, that you love me and you care for me. Pray. Write about it. Write things down. When God blesses you, when something hard happens, write about it. Sing as we sing, right? I love, the, my favorite part about church is the corporate worship because we get to sing songs to Jesus, right? Discuss this with others, right? It's not always easy to do, talk about Jesus with other people, but even in, in our church, when we're, we're eating dinner afterwards, think about ways to discuss this with others, And as we conclude, remember that Jesus is the perfect Christmas gift, better than anything you could ever enjoy. It was costly, right? It cost the life of Jesus, the life of God. It is unique because no one else can provide this for us. And we're desperately needed, right? It gives us that life and that meaning and the eternal life and freedom from sin. It's something that we can share with others too. We don't need to keep this gift to ourselves. It's a gift that, as they say, keeps on giving. You can share this with other people, right? We need to be loved by him forever. He is our father. He is our father. So as we conclude, we know that God's love is true and is affectionate and has an emotional connection to us. We also realize that our lives before we met Christ were in disobedience and rebellion toward him. And we were unable to save ourselves. We also see that Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago as a dramatic display of action and a demonstration of his love toward us. Therefore, God makes us deserving and accepting of his love as we believe in him as a great and true Christmas gift. Let's pray. 
Jesus, thank you so much for this gift. Thank you so much for your life. And we get to spend time reflecting on what you did on Christmas. Thank you that you came as a baby, you lived a perfect life, you died in my place for my sins, and that you rose again victorious, showing that your sacrifice was accepted, and that we get to one day resurrect from the dead and be with you forever. I just pray that you'd help us all as we inch towards Christmas Day, that you give us that time to reflect and think about and pray about what your gift is. And we ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.